1: Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the New Books Network. I'm your host, Stephen Siegel. And today, uh, my guest is Dr. Lucy Fremlova. She has written a book called Queer Roma, which is published by Routledge 2021 as part of the Transforming LGBTQ Lives series. The book is open access. Welcome, Dr. Fremlova, and thanks so much for joining me today.
2: Uh, thank you so, so much for this opportunity um, and for giving visibility to the topic and to the book. I really appreciate it, especially within um, this podcast um, and you know the great work that you have been doing.
1: Of course. And it's my pleasure. Uh, I want to introduce our listeners to you. So Dr. Lucy Fremlova is an independent researcher who works at the interface between academia, social movements and policy. Her close-up transdisciplinary research focuses on ethnic, racial, sexual, and gender identities, particularly in relation to queer Roma. In her innovative theoretical approach, she combines intersectionality with queer theory. The book Queer Roma, which we'll talk about today, is recently out with Routledge. And her article LGBTIQ Roma and queer intersectionalities: The lived experiences of LGBTQ LGBTQ LGBTIQ Roma, was published by European Journal of Politics and Gender in 2019. It won the EJPG 2021 Best Article and the Council for European Studies, Gender and Sexuality Research Best Article Award 2019. Uh, Her article, I should mention, Non-Romani Researcher Positionality and Reflexivity, Queering One's Privilege, was the most read article published Uh, in Critical Romani Studies Journal. This was 2019, Volume 1, Number 2. So uh, we have a lot of things to talk about with this wonderful book that I just finished reading, um, the product of really over 20 years of research. I want to start with a question about Roma, and this is really a question, uh, Lucy, that you ask, you pose yourself in the book, who are the Roma? and how did you come to research the topic? Uh,
2: Thank you very much, Stephen. Um, I think it's a question that um, uh, many people ask and also many people don't ask. Um, uh, I will first start uh, by saying that um, I grew up in in, uh, what was then communist Czechoslovakia. Um, I was born in 1977. Um, and I recall that even as a, a school, school age child, um, you know, I kind of took notice of Roma, even though at that time, <clears throat> you know, I couldn't really understand all the dynamics. But I could see that, for instance, one of my classmates was treated differently, uh, not just by, um, you know, the other children, but also by teachers. and. Um, it was one of my first sort of realizations, although I couldn't really process it at the age of uh, uh, seven or eight years old. So, so uh, you know, it's it's just something that I've always seen. Uh, as a child, I couldn't, um, or I I I can't recall being able to um, you know oppose um, some of some of the dynamics, but uh, with this with this particular. Uh, girl, um, um, I I used to play the guitar, so you know my way of of relating was, for instance, you know like um, taking the guitar to school or something, which you know sounds probably crazy, but uh, you know I also had a very good teacher at the time who taught me some Roma songs, so um, that was my way of communicating. Even though um, I don't know, uh, you know how. She saw it at that time, and it certainly didn't change anything about how she got treated. But as I got older, um, and I will say that particularly after 1989, um, which is a well-known fact that you know all the kind of uh, racist prejudice uh, resurfaced in the 1990s, uh, especially with um, the kind of newly gained freedom, including freedom of speech, um, it's something that I touch upon in the book as well that, you know, none of the governments really um, were able to um, tackle this properly, you know. So so uh, what my generation uh, recalls as the beautiful 1990s, you know, the time of freedom and, and, and democracy uh, was actually not such a good time for, for most Roma. Um um, and I think it's, it's something that we need to remember, you know, that there were also uh, victims when it comes to, you know, whether we consider, uh, you know, uh, the kind of economic transition that saw so many people lose their jobs, and mainly Roma, who were the first ones uh, to be um, let go. Uh but also the kind of literal victims of racism, uh, xenophobia, and anti-gypsism, which is which was shooting through the roof at the time. Uh, so, so it's something that, uh, you know, I have always been aware of. Uh, and um, I think that's how, you know, I just wanted to know more. Um, and as a non-ROMA, uh, it wasn't until you know, my sort of late teens uh, when um, I spent a year studying in the UK that I came across the work of Amnesty International. Uh, Then uh, when I returned to the Czech Republic and started my um, studies um, at the uh, Masaryk University in Brno, I helped to um, establish a local branch of Amnesty International. And uh, it was one of the kind of, main themes that uh, really preoccupied me. Um, and then uh, from there, you know, I just kind of uh, n- naturally transitioned to more uh, local-based uh, issues, uh, specifically uh, to do with Roma. Uh, in collaboration uh, with local Roma organizations, uh, such as the Association of Roma in, Var- in Moreva, based in, in Brno, uh, the Museum of Romani Culture. Uh, so, so, I think, you know, for me, the question, uh, who are the Roma, is a kind of um, ontological question that every non Roma should ask, but it shouldn't really stop at the question. It means also going out of your way to find out, uh, because as non-RUMA who do have privilege, uh, I feel it is also our responsibility to uh, make the extra effort uh, and try and do our best in terms of stepping out of that privilege. And really making connections, like meaningful connections with Roma, uh, and and making friends, you know, who are Roma, uh, spending time with Roma. So not just some sort of like abstract research, but you know, like everyone, uh, you know, we are people, you know, and we connect. Uh, and that was my link to Roma, and it has always been through personal connections.
1: I, I love that way of introducing the subject, Lucy, I I, I see this in many ways as a big story of over 20 years, really going all the way back to 1989. And the topics in covering the two marginalized groups, I see these recurrent themes that you have of acceptance and solidarity and and belonging, both inside and outside, um, straight and gay, heteronormative, non-heteronormative, I wonder if if you might talk to us a little bit about your intersectional approach. I think you have a very unique way of, of getting at this um, between cultures. I think in the plural, also between the UK and the Czech Republic. Um, how how did you come to this um, approach? And and it is race, class, gender, many other things all all at once. What what is it, and how do you use it for the book?
2: Um so I think uh, you know when we talk of intersectionality or queer theory these are just conceptual tools uh that uh, I use uh in this book and in my research but um you know I will say that um certain things uh were intuitive for me uh during the time that I did not have those tools Uh, And I did not have those tools in terms of the kind of conceptual um, um, framework until I did my uh, um, doctoral thesis, which uh, started in 2014. Um, I finished my degree in 2017. Uh, And obviously, I had heard of queer theory and intersectionality uh, before then, Uh, but really to understand what it means, you know, where it comes from, the uh, history, you know, because, for instance, intersectionality is always connected uh, to Kimberley Crenshaw, who coined the term uh, back in 1989 um, in in one of her publications and then in 1991. But the history is actually much, much longer. and. You know, it's something that I also uh, mention in the book, and and it, it is a well known thing uh, uh, among um, intersectional scholars that it goes back to Sejana Truth uh, and her famous um, publication entitled "A Woman." So, so uh, you know, the history is long, uh, but I think I'm, I'm just trying to say that uh, my life experiences uh, kind of. Formed my approach to things. So, so a lot of the stuff that I ended up doing, and I really consider myself very fortunate that I have been able to do, uh, for most of my life, I have been able to do things that I'm truly passionate about, uh, as, as a human being. Um, um, and this kind of linking and networking across cultures, uh, regions, continents, you know, meeting people, new people, new cultures. And also redefining myself through that, you know, uh, is, is a massive part of my life. Uh, but it has also become uh, quite central to the research that I do and the book. Uh, queer Roma that we're currently discussing. So, so I think that, that's that's uh, how I would describe it. Yeah.
1: Well, let let's talk about the book and your choice of, of chapters and the layout, its structure. I I understand that you have one big methodological chapter in, in which you're covering a lot of Romani um, studies scholarship, and you know I'm really happy to see the new. Um, publications coming out, the new series in critical Romani studies with CEU Press. Um, Could you introduce to our our listeners how you divide your chapters up? So the first one methodologically and and then the following chapters, many of which are based on your field research.
2: Absolutely. And I will just say that actually the book, uh, is uh, an updated version of my doctoral thesis. Yeah, so 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 my doctoral thesis uh, looks um, <laughs> roughly uh, the same, although um, I will make quite clear what is new. Uh, and obviously, everything is new. Uh, the book is new as opposed to the thesis. But uh, I want to emphasize that the structuring of the book uh, is sort of uh, linked to my thesis. Uh, So uh, what I want to say, uh, you know, and I I make it quite clear in the introduction is that the book is divided into two parts. Um, And the first one uh, basically is the introduction, uh, then chapter one, which is basically a kind of conceptual framework. Uh, So it it does uh, contain a lot of theory and methodology. Uh, and uh, it is also the longest chapter which for some may be uh somewhat challenging to get through uh but I actually felt that uh that's the only way <laughs> of of doing it uh because um that you know in my mind there was I, I I tried to do it differently but this was really the only way of of uh kind of Producing the book uh, in its current shape and form, uh, so so uh, chapter number one really looks at uh, it, it. It is a kind of theoretical trajectory. Um, it it sort of maps some of the main debates uh, in Romanian studies um, and understanding. Um, many identities uh, beyond uh, ethnic and binary frames Uh, and as you uh, pointed out uh, it does link to my methodology Uh, so so the methodology also it doesn't only discuss the methods that I used uh, in order to uh, collect the data analyze the data uh, you know come up with with the uh, with the analysis that um, this book contains, but it also talks about my positionality as somebody who isn't Roma, uh, who happens to be lesbian, uh, a lesbian woman, uh, whose position uh, is very kind of uh, interesting, (laughs) let's put it this way, yeah, Uh, interesting in the sense that uh, you know, uh, the I have been asked uh, a number of times, like so. So, how can you, uh, as as a non roma how can you produce uh, this this knowledge? Uh, you know, why why should we take it seriously? Even why should we read it? You know, you're not you're not rumor. And I think those are some of the questions that I pose um, in the book, and that that I also answer. Um, I also tackle them uh, in one of the journal articles that you mentioned that came out in uh, Critical Ruminist Studies uh, back in twenty nineteen. So, so it has been uh, it has been a massive part of of uh, conducting uh, you know the fieldwork, the research, uh, and I think. Um, you know I want to emphasize that that we do need to think about those uh, social and power dynamics that uh, um, shape the work of, of researchers but not only researchers but also human beings and and think of the privileges uh, some people don't like that word but but I always uh, try to use the um, example of uh, for instance um the difference between being um, able-bodied and not able-bodied, you know, and the kind of accommodations that are are made. For instance, when you look at local infrastructure, you know, pavements and, you know, uh, other sort of uh, material things that are in place in order for those who are not able-bodied to... Go out, for instance, you know, on a walk, uh, um, you know, or just to go to town, you know, catch a bus. Uh, and I think if we, you know, able-bodied people don't think of uh, their ability to, uh, you know, walk the pavement as a privilege. But actually it is because many people who are not able-bodied cannot do that, you know. Uh, so so I think if we think of, for instance, anti-gypsism, homophobia, uh, in similar terms uh, to many non-ROMA, you know, they won't see it as a privilege. You know, those things that they do on a daily basis. Oh, I'm driving my car and all the billboards that I see have got non-ROMA white people in them. And that's, that's a taken for granted thing for them. But try to put yourself in the shoes of a ROMA person. And how do you think that feels for that person? or to, for a uh, an lgbt person who keeps seeing you know these like images of uh you know heteronormative families uh when in fact we know very well that that uh, families can also be <laughs> different you know they can be same sex same sex families they can be single parent families you know so so those impulses that we get on a daily basis are to some they feel completely normal. And they will not think of those uh, experiences as as a privilege. But I would encourage everyone to really kind of inspect their own position in society. And that's where uh, that section of the chapter comes from.
1: Yeah, I, I, I want to follow up on that and introduce what you're um, arguing in many ways beyond the world of, say, pride parades. Because in talking about the first, the decriminalization of homosexuality, I think this is incredibly important as a 20th century story. Um, but you're, you make a lot of really interesting arguments um, toward the middle of the book uh, about queer belonging and, and visibility. Um, I, I wonder if you could introduce how how you carried out your field research. I, I, I think you had 40 or so um, people. I mean, without naming names and things like that. Could you tell us a little bit about how you carried out that field research and gathering the life stories of, of gay and lesbian and trans people within the Romanique
2: Absolutely. Uh, so, um, you know, it, it is a qualitative study. Yeah, uh, I worked with um, 24 participants, um, you know, uh, in the course of my field work, which... Uh, took place uh in 2015 and 2016 and the most important sections of my fieldwork actually coincided with uh the first and the second international Roma LGBT conferences in Prague so mm-hmm. so these were venues very very important ones not just well let me just say that for instance the first um lgbt roma international conference was uh so so unique uh because it brought together a lot of people who had never met another roma lgbt person before um Mm -hmm. and and who were roma lgbt yeah This,
1: this was august 2016 right
2: this was august 2015 uh-huh. Uh, so, so the first one took place in 2015, the second one took place in 2016, and I was very, very fortunate, uh, that, um, you know, I was able to, uh, collect data and these, uh, key events, which produced very specific, um, uh, dynamics. You know, uh, I gathered data in, uh, focus groups, in two focus groups, and, uh, then also in um, semi-structured interviews. Uh, But not all of the interviews took place um, as part of the conference because, as you can imagine, conferences are very, very intense. So where there wasn't enough time, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to be able to link with those participants and they agreed to talk to me um, afterwards, either in person or. Over Skype or you know other other technologies, so um, you know we were able to um, in in the focus groups we talked about some of the overarching topics um, in relation to the lived experiences of queer Roma. Uh, you know what are the challenges? What are um, you know some of those? Because the book also it doesn't only focus on negative things, uh, but it also emphasizes uh, positive experiences, uh, empowering experiences, um, and I think it's very very important to to foreground those narratives. Uh, obviously, not uh, forgetting about uh, you know the negative uh, sides of oppression, uh, but You know, I I say it very clearly at the outset of my book that um, it is uh, unique in my opinion um, and the first book um, of its kind to offer these um, stories of rejection on the one hand but also acceptance on the other. And some of those stories have actually never been told before. Uh, And I think it's really, really important uh, for those stories to come out because when we look at the media um the book also uh kind of chronologically covers uh the emergence of the lgbt Roma rights movement and you know sort of individual um uh, beacons if you yeah, like you that's know that's a good that's word mm-hmm. started popping out s- s- sort of sometime around 2008 2009 you know one book here another book here a film here then and even there so so i try to um you know, kind of offer, and obviously, you know, I'm not claiming that I have managed to include everything and everyone, but uh, that really was my, uh, my um, wish to be able to give credit to everyone and every single event that has taken place since then uh, to actually uh, bring the voices of Roma to the foreground, um, and to show the incredible wealth of experiences.
1: Could could you say also a few words about passing? I, I think this is a, a striking part of your book, and and to me, in in reading it, and please correct me if I'm wrong. It it it's not just a race question or the so, social construction of, of race question, but I'm um, I'm really struck by how you. Go beyond the kind of black and white perspective of, of just um like anti anti-gypse- anti gypsyism and homophobia, and and deal from within these communities um, the question of, of of belonging and and that includes of course LGBTQ communities mm-hmm. and the re- the relative level of of acceptance. But I, what I mean by this question is passing both within LGBTQ communities and then within the larger society. Could, could you say a bit about that and, and maybe if it matters which country we're talking about, if it's Bulgaria or the Czech Republic or, or Romania sure. or someplace
2: else? Okay. <clears throat> so um, I think this is where intersectionality and queer theoretical concepts are very, very useful. Uh, because um, they enable us to look at people's experiences through the very same lenses. So, uh, you know, for somebody who is navigating, uh, you know, intersectional an intersectional identity or uh, an intersection of identities, um, if, if you like, uh, and those identities happen to be uh, stigmatized, um, such as... Uh, Roma ethnic identity and LGBT um, IQ um, sexual and gender identities. Uh, and I think that's what kind of is unique about uh the lived experiences of Roma, but not that unique uh in the sense that we Soon, discover that there are also other groups who have been experiencing uh, similar intersectionalities. But passing is uh, passing is a strategy uh, that has been used uh, by many minority groups, uh, irrespective of whether their identities are ethnic, racial, sexual, gender, um, and it always entails this sort of masking as the same or similar as the norm in order to escape being punished for being different or being the opposite. Uh, so sometimes, uh, you know, it's easy. Sometimes it's uh, obvious. Uh, so uh, the uh, lived stories that I uh, talk about in the book, you um, um, offer different types of experiences depending on how well uh, the person is able to pass or not. Uh, so it also touches upon issues such as um, uh, complexion, you know, skin color. I also talk about, um, you know, or I bring forward uh, those stories where, um, for instance, um, You know, one of the participants uh, talks about um, hiding in plain sight um, as a as a gay Roma and what it what it entails. You know, so so um, and and some of the dynamics around uh, being openly gay. and being accepted by um, a team of girls <laughs> in in that in that instance, uh, not so much by his male um, peers, uh, but then there is a completely different set of criteria when it comes to Roma. You know, an acceptance of Roma. Uh, you know. In in his case, uh, you know, he says, "Well, you know, I'm I'm light skinned, so I've always been able to uh, pass as as uh, non-Roma." Uh, but you know, uh, it's not um, it's not so sort of cut and dry, you know. So so the book kind of looks at um, similar stories, you know, uh, stories where. Uh, you know, people have experienced some, you know, outrageous examples of anti-gypsies and, uh, you know, for instance, one of the Czech participants was talking about this horrendous experience of her classmates wanting to pour bleach on her uh, to whiten her skin, uh, which in and of itself uh, is, uh, you know, an entirely unimaginable and traumatizing experience. Uh, and I, 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 you know, like when, when she was telling me, I just thought that, that's, you know, I was speechless. You know, uh, that there is nothing you can say, um, uh, especially if, if you haven't experienced something like that. Uh, and for instance, in her case, you know, she also talks about uh, her identity um kind of uh, fluctuating or being fluid in terms of uh, um, her sexuality uh, because she ends up in a relationship with a um, trans person who is also Roma, you know. So so this kind of double story also shows the kind of uh, becoming, the process of becoming uh, when it comes to I identities and it Raises some questions around, you know, um, identity being a process. You know, uh, not something that is in it, given, fixed, but something that does change. Uh, and it doesn't mean that we can change our ethnic identity or racial identity. You know, I can stop being white or a Roma person can stop being Roma. No, that's that's not what I'm saying. What it means is that those identities shift uh, depending on contexts, uh, relational, material, uh, and other um, realities that we navigate. And those realities and contexts change as we move in life. Uh, and I think, for instance, this story—you uh, know—of the um, Romani woman who. Uh, Thought she was <laughs> straight, uh, and then ends up being in a, in a queer relationship with a trans Roma. I think is is a, a beautiful example of that.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail, from accepting payments to managing inventory. Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to Shopify.com/slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system.
1: hmm I I have to ask because um I, I'm also struck by the proposals from within collectives and and in communities or in communities of people with similar lived experiences for how how to get beyond the ordinary? Um, I would say maybe even normative objectification and fetishization of queer Roma. and I wonder if you could comment a little bit about how you see that objectification and fetishization, even in scholarship, and 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 this you know is a kind of controversial thing that a lot of scholars have addressed and um, talking about binaries, but with all of your experience, I kind of have to ask this question. Um and it's really two parts. So first, you know, in building the alliances and collectives, which you've been doing, and, and then secondly, in dealing with some of the persistent essentialism and racism, and, um, ethnocentrism, even within LGBTQ mm-hmm. organizations.
2: Okay. So if I, uh, if I, um, forget one part of this, uh, double question, please remind me, I will, I will try to retain all the information, uh, so um, in terms of scholarship, uh, I think um, I have tried to do my best in terms of illustrating some of the uh, kind of um, tense points, you know, some, some of the uh, issues and challenges that um, Romani studies have faced over time. Um, And I also make a parallel with, uh, you know, lesbian and gay studies and, you know, it's kind of evolution over time uh, into queer theory. Uh, But, you know, some of the more recent manifestations of this kind of trend within some uh, inverted commas, feminist scholarships to essentialize uh, sex and gender. Uh, And I'm specifically talking about... um, uh, transphobic uh, radical feminists, you know, who have taken a very, very extreme stance and are doing a lot of the hard work that has been put into uh, scholarship on sexuality and gender and feminism in general over the past three, four decades. So, um, you know, I'm trying to draw some pearls uh, when it comes to this tension between constructionism and essentialism in both. Romani Studies and uh, Lesbian and Gay Studies and, and what it has done, you know. Um, and I also uh, try to kind of explain how these uh, challenges may come about, you know. For instance, uh, when we focus solely on oppression uh, and differentiation, then the kind of essentialist trend is uh, quite understandable. Yeah. Uh, because uh, if oppression is not theorized uh, through a uh, lens which is more than constructionist, uh, I think we will end up um, you know in that vicious cycle uh, and what for instance uh, Gamson talked about back in 1995, you know when he talked about the queer dilemma, uh, then McGarry um, and Jesper talk about the identity dilemma um, in 2015. So, so, we have had these dilemmas over time and they have taken different shapes and forms in different disciplines. But at the end of the day, uh, they were very much similar, in, in my opinion, uh, and they continue to be similar. Uh, and I will say that some of the essentialization that we see around uh, women. Uh, in relation to trans women, uh, that is, uh, you know, uh, completely unacceptable in my mind. It's it's the same type of essentialization that Roma have been experiencing uh, for decades. Yeah. Uh, so so uh, and that's the kind of um, objectification as well. Whether it's the media and sometimes even academia. You know, uh, one one of the uh, Participants is also a Romanist uh, scholar and, uh, you know, she refers to the notion of gadjology, you know, and the fact that if we are theorizing Roma in Romanist studies, then we should also theorize uh, Gaje, non roma in gadjology, you know. And it, it, it's a sort of a seriously meant joke, you know, uh, which, which points at the... Uh, asymmetry when it comes to theorizing minority or what, it, what, what are seen as, as minority people or discourses. And there is this like almost like obsession with, with that, you know, uh, and I just want to uh, clarify what I mean by that, you know, uh, because many, many of those intentions are good uh but as we say in Czech, you know, the road to health is, is often paved with good intentions and, and I think we cannot ex- you know we just cannot I- exclude ourselves from 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 that. And we have to see, you know, every bit of uh scholarship on Roma in a particular context. And when it comes to Romani studies or um, you know the gypsy law society, it does come with the legacy of of uh essentialism and racism uh, and i think it, it it needs to be questioned and challenged
1: mm-hmm. um and, and from your interviews I, I mean i can name a lot of them bruno john i mean you have um, names i think from your field study that, that you've anonymized um could you maybe give us an idea of, of the big conclusions that you have I, I, some i think um could be anthologized almost in, in a plural anthology of the many Roma cultures instead of, just, you know, sort of one homogenous experience. But I mean, what, what were some of the big sort of conclusions and, and patterns that, that you found from the responses? Did you find that the people who um, were out of the closet seemed happier? Did you find the, this, you know, larger story of power asymmetries and dynamics to be typical, I guess there are a lot of questions I can ask. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't want to put words mm-hmm. in your in your mouth for, for the larger. Yeah,
2: it's 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 not the easiest of questions <laughs> that, that um, you're asking me because there are so many aspects uh, um, um, to your to your question and and to the book. Uh, but um, I think you know the overarching um, conclusion. One of the overarching conclusions is that. Uh, in my opinion, um, the lived experiences of queer Roma and also the visual self representations challenge um, a lot of the um, stereotypes around Roma, you know, the kind of one dimensional, detrimental, negative stereotypes and the kind of stereotyp- stereotypical representations of Roma that we most see, you know. Uh, Roma are Quite regularly portrayed as um, um, anachronic, you know, uh, antithetical to modernity, uh, somehow stuck in time, uh, homophobic, uh, you know, Roma. That there is this like myth that Roma are more homophobic than non-Roma, that they don't ex- accept their LGBT uh, relatives. Are uh, the book challenges all of those myths and all of those uh, untruths uh, which are often used uh, for political ends, you know, uh, and um, it also talks about some of the racist dynamics uh, which we see in, um, you know, ethnic majority, ethnic majority societies and unfortunately the LGBT, the mainstream non-Ruma LGBT movement is not a, an exception. Uh, so 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 a lot of the a lot of the uh, rejection that LGBT or queer Roma experience uh, also comes from within uh, the larger movement. Uh, but again, it's 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 not exactly a surprise because uh, you know anti gypsyism and racism are uh, some of the most prominent social dynamics uh, in Europe and elsewhere, uh, and. You know, I think the book shows quite clearly that, uh, you know, being um, LGBT uh, doesn't necessarily make you um, prone to understand uh, rumor. You know, uh, it, it doesn't make you somehow more sensitive Uh the book also shows that being Roma doesn't automatically give you the ability to understand uh, the experiences of LGBT people. Uh, so so, so the, the kind of assumption that if you come from one minority, you can actually relate to another, uh, I think, is also uh, challenged by the book. And it shows that it doesn't work that way. You know, However, alliances can be built. Uh, and it shows uh, some of the processes and strategies uh, to do that.
1: Mm-hmm. that. That's so interesting. I mean, I think of some of the recent queer um, studies scholarship that's coming out on things like pinkwashing um, and in the idea of, of being more liberal, like just so, you know, to arrive at greater acceptance in society. Once you've made one choice, you're somehow liberated and can empathize better with other communities that are similarly liberated. Um, But I I guess this is something as part of my last question for you to to introduce some of your grassroots work. And and here I mention um, how interesting your book is when you update it to 2020 and 2021, um, I'm thinking about the um, European Roma Grass News Organiz- Organizations Network, I'm thinking about some of the legislation um, that you mentioned. I'm thinking about the monitoring that goes on. Um, could, could you talk maybe like about the positive things that, that you see from a grassroots perspective, like what, what needs to be done in terms of actionable history and, and scholarship and, and ultimately policy?
2: Sure. Uh, so so uh, I will just say that, um, you know, grassroots activities have been uh, part of my research, and I would say almost like an inseparable part of my research um, uh, from day one. Um, and even the book, uh, you know, I have said that um, basically most of the fieldwork took place during uh, the two uh, international LGBT Roma conferences. Uh, which in and of themselves were grassroots um, initiatives and they produce certain outcomes uh, which um, and certain outputs which are still being used today um, I have also made sure that uh, you know the knowledge that uh, we co produced with uh, the queer Roma participants uh, gets fed into larger uh, networks and um, Larger initiatives. So, so, um, for instance, you know, the Council of Europe, um, the European Commission, uh, also the um, Roma Civil Monitor. Um, you know, we we actually had a whole kind of uh, roundtable discussing some of the, um, um, you know, some of some of the um, consequences. Um, of, uh, you know, what has been going on in relation to, uh, you know, this like almost like a different type of theorization of identity through um, um, understanding the experiences of uh, queer Roma. I also mentioned uh, towards the end of the book uh, a recent project that I have been working on uh, with uh, one of the the key organizations uh, that, uh, basically made the first um, international LGBT uh, conferences possible and that's the Prague-based organization um, Ara Art, uh, which is a czech romani LGBT organization uh, doing a lot of um, transdisciplinary intersectional work and the project that we have been working on uh, since last uh, November, which is funded by the European Commission looks at uh, LGBT Roma uh, in the Czech Republic, Hungary and Slovakia. Um, And as part of that um, project, um, um, together with another colleague, we have produced um, a research study, um, um, basically mapping uh, the kind of legal provisions with respect to uh, multiple and intersectional discrimination in those three countries. Uh, and how they're able to respond or not able to respond to uh, some of the lived experiences uh, of queer rumor um, so so um, I'm saying I'm saying this to say that uh, you know uh, my sort of um, focus has been on translating uh the kind of theoreticals, some might say, some might say, abstract knowledge into concrete, tangible work that does make a difference um, on the ground. Um, and in, in a previous project, uh, which I did um, while I was still um, working in academia, um, I did that at the University of Portsmouth back in 2019. Was looking at visual self-representations, uh, and actually the book contains. A number of uh, photographs that um, LGBT Roma uh, visual activists and artists created as part of that project. And again, it, it helps to visualize, not just to understand, but also to visualize uh, the lived experiences of queer Roma.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, you're talking about the Aspects Gallery, right, in, in Portsmouth. Was that the one?
2: yeah which was i mean that was the combination of 12 months of work okay. uh but you know the what, what went into that exhibition uh and thank you for remembering that uh was you know um 10 months of uh work with um, um queer roma visual activists and artists some of whom actually participated in the um uh, in my doctoral um Research, so some of their uh, stories are also contained in the book. Uh, But I think the point I'm trying to make is that, uh, you know, sometimes uh, a picture speaks a thousand words, and you see a picture, and you don't need, you know, a whole chapter on, uh, you know, uh, queer belonging, for instance. You know, you kind of get the message almost instantly. Uh, So that was actually one of the main. Um, driving forces behind that project to make uh, to enhance the impact of of my doctoral research, which you can read in in the book.
1: <laughs> yeah, and 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 you know, I, I mean, I hope people will will see all of the exhibitions that that you've um, organized and and consulted for and, and been a part of. I, I mean, I'm thinking also of the Black Lives Matter movement and. Um, how difficult it became for for people to go to the theater or to go to the museum and um you know it it, it was such an important issue not just for um Roma but for other uh, minorities the, the Bila Mista I'm thinking of for example and um i think these are really inspiring things uh so i you know thank you for for all of your involvement and now, um, since we're kind of running out of time, uh, I, I would ask you, um, Lucy, since we've been talking about the chapters, uh, all six chapters in, in Queer Roma, if you could perhaps recommend um, some research or, or maybe authors for our listeners here on New Books Network, what, what do you see interesting out there?
2: So, um, you know, um, there's been actually quite a lot of uh, research on queer Roma done over the past uh, 10, 15 years. Uh, I mean, I would, and, and not just research, but, um, you know, uh, a lot of writing, even, um, you know, in terms of, um, you know, the kind of uh, literature that that um, is um, not academic. Uh so I would definitely um, I would definitely recommend uh, Mikey Walsh's book uh, Gypsy boy and Gypsy Boy on the Run uh, these came out in 2009 and 2011 um, there's also um, um, a very very good book um, UK-based uh, Romani Gypsy gay artist called Daniel Baker, who has been producing uh, tons of art, but also a lot of scholarship around uh, queer Roma or what he calls the queer gypsy. Um, and he has an article and he also wrote uh, a thesis uh, about the queer gypsy. Uh, there is, of course, other queer Romani scholars uh the, the book has an extensive bibliography at the end, so so you will find all of those people and all of those books there, but uh, one key book or publication that I would recommend is um, called Juvliarke, um, Roma-Lesbian Existence in Serbia, written by Vera Kurtić in 2013, published by the European Roma Rights Center. Um, and... Um, then there are other people uh, or other initiatives. Some actually uh, function uh, or operate only online. So there is uh, an amazing project called Do Not Spit In My Face, uh, which which looks at um, uh, Queer Rumor as well. So you just go to www.donotspitinmyface.com. Um, um, and you know, if you are interested in some more, um, visual representations of Queer Roma, you can also visit our website, which is the, uh, qrstock.qrtv.eu, uh, and it has all the photos that we produced, uh, back in 2019 together with the, uh, Queer Room and a visual activists and artists, uh, there's also, uh, obviously under COVID, uh, you know, theater performances have been skewed, but an amazing play called Rumor Army uh, at the Maxim Gorky Theater in Berlin. Uh, and they have been uh, giving shows um, um, over Europe over the past two and a half years. Uh, so if you get a chance to see uh, Rumor Army, uh, I can't recommend it enough. Uh, it's it's a theatre play which was uh, written by uh, two sisters, uh, Sandra and Simodida, um, and they are um, they they both live in Vienna. Uh, they are of um, serbian Romani heritage, um, and the play contains a lot, um, you know. It kind of speaks to the intersectional experiences as, uh, and one of them, one of the sisters is actually a lesbian Roma, so it it contains a lot of information and kind of is very conducive to contemplations around uh, identity, sexual identity, gender identity, uh, ethnic, racial identity, all those things that I also discuss in in the book. there are there are so many. Um, I would also mention uh, Mate, who is uh, um, a young Romanian scholar uh, writing about um, um, queer Roma, LGBT Roma, and intersectionality. Um, Arman Halic, who who has written about uh, um, this sort of turn in uh, this queer turn in theatre. Um, and you know this sort of future of of uh, European culture being very much uh, Roma and queer. It's called the revolution is here, and now the revolution is Roma queer and feminist. Um, so yeah, there are there are many many things, uh, and I'm. Also, uh, emphasizing uh, the kind of non-academic stuff. Uh, yes, because, Yeah, because <laughs> really? it's, it's not always readily available. But uh, yeah, th- there has been a lot. Uh, and yeah, um, my book, you know, if you go to the reference section, it contains all those references, including uh, links to videos um, and so on and so forth. Uh, I will also mention one very important uh, website. Uh, I've already kind of uh, made a reference uh, to our uh, visualizing the lives of uh, LGBT Roma uh, and the link that goes with it. But if you want to check out uh, the Queer Roma TV, qrtv.eu, uh, it's it's uh, a kind of multimedia platform run by Laszlo Farkas, who runs a television a radio station and does all sorts of podcasts and other... Um, um, fabulous. Yeah, 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 other sort of streaming uh, events.
1: F- f- fantastic. And, and you know, the bibliography is really extensive, so this is another reason for, for people to read the entire book. Um, thank you. And, and finally, this is the last 60-second question. What are you working on now?
2: So I'm wrapping up the uh, project in Hungary, Czech Republic, and Slovakia. Uh, and I'm starting to work on an article, uh, which actually will talk about visualizing the lives of queer Roma and the uh, photogra- photographic visual representations and self representations that we produced back in 2019.
1: Excellent. Well, um, I thank you, Dr. Lucy Framlava, for for being with me here today. This this is a really wonderful interview, um, and and for covering so much ground in your book. Which I would really highly recommend to an audience here. Thank you so much. Thank thank you. So much. Um, the book is called Queer Roma, and it is published by Routledge Open Access twenty twenty one as part of the Transforming LGBTQ Lives series. Um, thank you, Lucy, so much for being on the podcast with me today.
2: Thank you for the opportunity, Stephen. I really appreciate it.
1: And I am your host, Stephen Siegel, here at New Books Network. Until next time.